The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Crisis for the geek kind. Top geek officials admit they underestimated the hipster's defense capability. Geeks from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. They're doing their part. Are you? Join Weeby Geeks and the Geek Revolution and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. Want to know more? Do not attempt to adjust your device. This is Extreme Freedom Audio Bulletin. It cannot be traced. It cannot be stopped. And it is the only free voice left in the Geek Revolution. And welcome to another episode of Weeby Geeks. Hey, Derek, I almost said Wookie Radio. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know why, but it is the dashing duo, Derek and myself, Mike. And this week we are being joined by independent film creator, director, actor. Uh, he has a great Western horror film that's coming. I'm going to say it's coming out. I could be wrong, but. Before he corrects me, I'm going to introduce Robert Conway. How's Hi, everyone guys. doing? Thanks for having me. So it comes out uh, July 13th. July 13th. Okay. Yes, sir. So, so we work entertainment. We have reviewed. We've had a lot of stars who have had films on uncorked entertainment out there. Yeah, they're pretty prolific. And I, I'll admit, I'm one of the few people who actually watch Pluto TV and a lot of the <laughs> the movies. <laughs> On the uh, that aren't mainstream movies that they have on there are uncorked entertainment films. Yeah. They get a lot out there in the genre. They really do. So it's one of the places where you can still get a film that's you know got some quality to it. Yeah. Uh, without having a you know bigger cast and bigger budget and all that kind of stuff. A lot of the uh, distributors today kind of insist on, but they don't really help us pay for. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Now this this horror western that you have coming out on the 13th is called Skinwalker. Tell us a little bit about the film. Yes. Well, it's kind of an interesting story. It came about during the uh, really bad COVID lockdown, the beginning of the COVID lockdown. And we were all kind of homebound watching Tiger King. And I'm like, well, why don't we just go make a movie? We're not doing anything anyway. And keep the uh, entertainment. They were done with it. And um, basically, we just went up to the mountain to make a movie. And we did that kind of self-isolated and self-quarantined based on Native American folklore myth about a skinwalker, which, uh, you know, is like a shape-shifting uh, uh, supernatural being. I kind of used, like, John Carpenter the thing as kind of my reference for, uh, basically, it could be anybody. And it was also kind of COVID-inspired. It was this idea of this. This is very early on in the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, we didn't know much about it yet. We didn't know who had it and who didn't. And there was a lot of crazy stuff on the Internet. It seemed to be really appropriate uh, thematically, you know, for that kind of world where, like, 
you're fighting this invisible enemy that attacks. I mean, it's a horror film, so naturally, eventually, the monster manifests physically, and we see that. But for a long time, it's manifests itself through the uh, people in the story, the humans, if you will. And I really thought that was, um, you know, both timely and uh, and 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 a lot of uh, fun to do. You know, on a mountain with friends rather than, yeah, just watching Netflix all day. <laughs> so. Hmm. So, okay. I guess before we go any further, how much can we spoil? Or, or is there... I, that's up to you guys. I, I don't know. I mean, it depends. It's a horror movie, so it's going to follow certain to, um, tropes, if you will. If you want, to, for lack of a better word, I mean, it, it's. I try to inject certain things into the formula, but you know, there's a monster. A lot of people die, and a couple live. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, <laughs> uh, you know, nothing new. I don't break any ground there, as far as the art of cinema goes. But if there's, is there, you know, it's up to you. I, I'm pretty much cool with it. Um, to me, I I loved how, in a sense, your monster was. I almost want to say a virus, mm-hmm. and, and it was almost like a an undead type virus. A, am I on the right track with that? I think so. I think so. I think there's definitely some Walking Dead in there. Um, you know, kind of thing where you have. Uh, the idea of just anything inside you, any foreign intrusion into your body, uh, that in this case, in, in my case, you know, it not only takes over your body, but your mind and essentially uh, possesses you. I've done demonic possession flicks before, and they're always interesting because if you can have that part in the story where the character is, they know that they're losing their own identity and they're being consumed by a demon, a Native American monster in this case, whatever it might be, a virus, uh, it's like that's always an interesting bit of film where they're trying to, let's say, complete their life's work or their mission or get their loved ones to safety or whatever they have to do before they become the enemy of their wife, their husband, their, you know, whatever it might be. So that's always uh, interesting. And it gives the actors a chance to flex their muscles in a genre that sometimes doesn't doesn't do that for the cast. So I'm glad that I can do that. And I, I'm glad that I have actors that that, that love to do those type of, you know, we try to make those dramatic roles in these little movies. Right. Uh, you know, we never subscribe to like just uh, teenagers on uh, spring break is never, I never found, I never done a film like that because I don't find them interesting. I want to make sure the people that are being uh, subjugated to all the horrors I can concoct are people that we want to know more about and that are interesting characters with their own stories. Uh, and, you know, putting in a very colorful genre, like a Western, you know, in all, if you took out the supernatural elements, I think the story still works as a good Western. So I try to look at that first. I don't know if you guys are familiar with my work. I did a film years ago with Kane Hodder and Tiffany Shepis called Exit to Hell, where it started off like a crime caper movie about kids who rob nightclubs. So like, even without the horror movie, the characters are interesting, you know, and right, that's kind of right. like, I try to do that with all my mm. horror movies where it's not just like, Let's go on spring break, Johnny. I mean, that to me is just not, I don't care about that, you know. And all, yeah. at that point, all you want to see That's is just right. people to get killed. You don't care, you know. And I, I try to make the, the characters real. Okay. And, or at least really interesting, if not real. Right. <laughs> um, were there influences for how you wanted to create your movie? I mean, were there other movies that influenced this? Yeah, I'm, John Carpenter's The Thing, the original The Thing. I don't know who did that, you know, the black and white one. I saw that when I was a little kid, and then I saw John Carpenter probably when I was like a teenager or whatever. Um, big influence there. Um, you know, 
I think that the Predator was an influence as well. Uh, the wilderness kind of being away from everything. Kind right, of, right, uh, right. You know, there's uh, a monster. And again, like I look at the Predator, I look at the thing as movies that I think did it right as far as having a really cool cast of an ensemble cast of heroes, desperados, whatever, pitted against a monster. You know, interesting people, contrasting personalities. Uh, as much as horror movies are about uh, the effects and the, and the horror, the horror doesn't resonate if we don't care about the cast. So I think that's um, right. Uh, yeah. So I really, I really feel like John Carpenter or, or um, you know, uh, Predator films, like films like that, 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 that put the extra effort in to develop their right. backstories. Right. Yeah. I really liked the, um, to me, it felt like there was a little nod to Night of the Living Dead oh, uh, meets, um, is it the thing? I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Is it the thing that has uh, the the airborne spores that that affect like we like we see with with Skinwalker, or am I thinking a different film? I'm not sure if it was airborne. I know there was a what was the one that was airborne was, was Contagen. Was that airborne? Um, I know that uh, the Skinwalker has to physically touch you, kind of like right. uh, like a vampire or like um, me. Airborne would be just too. Everybody would have it. And the idea was that. I had, you know, you always have to work out the mythology, the rules of how a, a, a creature that was, you know, based on ancient Native American lore. But I, I you know, I make it I take a lot of license with that. It becomes kind of your own monster. How does it behave? What makes it do what it does? And you have to kind of invent rules for it. What's its motivation? But then what are its weaknesses? What are its strengths? I mean, a lot of fun. Obviously, it's 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 world building on a micro scale there. But um, you know, I found it like, well, okay, the, the creature kind of travels from body to body until that body's too damaged, like gets shot 20 times or something like that. It'll find a new host. So kind of an ode to alien there, you know, where you have that, uh, right. you know, traveling from different uh, different hosts that it depends on until it can, and, and, you know, in my case, you know, garner enough strength to take on physical form. Little ode to Lord of the Rings there, you know, Sau Sauron right. having to kind of act through his minions um, before he can take shape. And, yeah, uh, I I really like the idea because um, I, I wasn't I wasn't very familiar with the Skinwalker mythology, uh, but I liked how to go towards that undead vibe was you, you didn't get bit, you didn't get like you do with most zombie films or undead films. You didn't get no, you weren't exposed to the the spores by just breathing them in. It, it was it was that contact. Of, yeah, you could just barely touch the person with a fingertip, and all of a sudden you're affected. Yeah, the spirit so would, wild. Yeah, the spirit would transcend one to the other, and that of course the, the, again, and then you know uh, it goes from men, it goes to women, it goes to different people who are very contrasted. So uh, it, some of the cast, uh, you know, Eva Hamilton who plays the lead, her husband mm-hmm. becomes. Um, possessed or whatever and he knows that yeah. he's telling her like you know get out of here I'm gonna I can only fight this beast off for so long so I mean it is particularly hor- horrifying to any of us you know the idea that our own to in a sense our own body could turn against us or turn against those we love um, you know and, and I think particularly living in an age of a pandemic we definitely feel that you know our loved ones can can infect us it's, it's, you know, it's beyond our control so yeah um in the town that the people enter in the beginning of the movie, you know, we have this ode to like that town was hit by a actual 
plague, a physical plague, and there was oh, nobody wow. there. And yeah, it was kind of like a plague town. You know, they go basically they capture the girl. She, her husband is like this outlaw they're after, so they bring the girl in, turn her over to the marshal, and he's dead, and everybody's dead. There's nobody there except an old man and a kid, and everybody else is either dead or run off. And then they're like, okay, well we got to cross the mountain to get to the next place to drop off this prisoner, and um, you know, so yeah, it was definitely very COVID inspired. Uh, which, you know, gosh, COVID's been horrifying. I guess if we can take some creative uh, uh, benefit from it, I guess, is what I was trying to do. So something positive out of such a miserable experience. But, uh, you know, it, yeah, it's at like... Least, um, at least you can get something out of it. Yeah, yeah, just, you know, being timely, being something that hopefully the audience can relate to, which is always an interesting thing. It's like you want to create, going through something like a horrible global pandemic, you want to create escapism. But you also want to be timely contemporary and speak to what people are thinking about so like horror works great on mm. both of those cylinders but it's a balancing act you mm. don't want to uh, i know a lot of movies came out and i'm not faulting them for it um but i chose not to do like a straight up quarantine covid movie uh, even though because it's just too close to reality for me putting it in the wild west and putting it as a supernatural being made it like okay we hit on like what's topical without you know we, we're still providing Getting enough escapism from the drudgery and the, right. and the misery. Right. You know, so many people lost their lives in the tragedy of last year, uh, you know. So I think we did that here. I think we did that. My, my dog in the background agreeing with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, so how did you, you come across the Skinwalker mythology? I grew up in the Southwest, you know, so I was always kind of familiar with that. I'm always looking for monsters, you know, I'm always looking for things that haven't been done or that aren't as prominent as, you know, your werewolves or your vampires or what have you. Uh, and I have Native American friends and they told me about it. And I said, this is interesting, you know, and I have uh, the Native American actors in the movie uh, brought, we, we did a lot, Victoria Pope, Jeff Yazzie, uh, Eddie Rodriguez. We, we did a lot of uh, Apache language in the film, which I thought was super cool. Yeah. To use was, real, that real was Apache awesome. Language. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like, so they, they, they were really kind of my go-to. Uh, I believe that it's actually a Navajo myth, not an Apache myth, if I'm correct. But, um, you know, it was, uh, it was a very interesting uh, culture. I right. love culture. It's very, uh, 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 I've been fascinated by it ever since I was a kid. So uh, trying to find, um, you know, in a way that's respectful of their traditions, I'm not trying to exploit their culture in any way, shape, or form, but it's like find ways that we can kind of show the cooler sides of their culture that, uh, that can also be pretty terrifying. Uh, in a respectful way and make a fun horror movie out of it. So, um, you know, adds a little bit of originality to what we're doing, which is, it's hard in, it's hard in any genre in movies. I mean, you know, particularly today, nobody wants originality. Mm. It's all, to find out what TV show from the 1960s we can make a franchise out of. So, all right. Yeah. I, I loved, uh, the, the one husband, uh, who's f- friend of the of Red Feather, uh, the chief mm. of Red Feather. Uh, I love yeah, the torture Daniel device. Lee. I love the, the torture device you put him in. Uh, I've seen yeah, that was fun. drawings and sketches of what that would have been like back in the day, but actually see that on film, it's like, okay, this is pretty cool. Yeah, and so much of that's up to the actor, too. Sorry to interrupt. But no, no, go ahead. Uh, it's so much up to the, the actor selling it. I mean, Lori Hayerman, our, our production designer, she did that from scratch, basically. Uh, but the actor has to sell that it's sharp because obviously it's not, you know, Dan right. Link, who, who really Daniel Link's the actor who played Willard was the guy, the, uh, the uh, polygamous guy. Um, he sold that, that it was just razor sharp in his expressions. And, uh, and the guys, Jeff, 
and Victoria, who are his interrogators or torturers. Just, I, I love those scenes. I really do. And I think they're, they're that, um, that idea that like, if you lean forward, if you lose, you're just going to die. You know, you get the more exhausted right. you get. Oh, you're just, you know, you're being strained physically. It's like tensing a muscle. And if you loosen that muscle, you're, you're to your history. So, uh, pretty macabre, but yeah. Um, uh, great, great, great stuff to shoot. And again, great, great cast, really great cast. This was a tough shoot as they usually are with these little micro budget films that we do. Um, you have to get the right actors with the right, uh, uh, you know, ready to go to, uh, to battle with you. Cause it's, it's a far cry from a big union show with trailers and they probably have massage therapists on staff or who knows, you know, this right. is, we're, 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 we're basically wilderness camping, making a little movie. So, uh, and I, you know, the cast and the crew on this were just excellent. So couldn't do it without them. So was there, was there a lot of, um, did you use a lot of the original myth or did you change a lot of it? Well, there's not, see, you know, it's interesting. I've done obscure mythology uh, movies before. And I think the, the perfect, uh, the closest example would be the Krampus features when I did those. You're like, there's not that much there. You know, it's not like the Tolkien canon or something where you can really right. dive in or like a vampire or, you know, you have to really get very liberal with your interpretation of what's there source material wise. Uh, mm. which as a fiction writer is my pleasure to indulge, you know, and I don't, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about something you'd worry. Like if you were making Tolkien and you don't do it right, well, people are going to, you know, hang you upside down for that, you know, and that's right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like Krampus, where I was like, what is Krampus? You know, we don't know much. I mean, this was back when we started doing them. It was around the time Hollywood did theirs. And it was like, there wasn't a lot, there wasn't a canon. So we're like, I don't know. He takes kids. He, whatever. He's a bad guy. But, you know, there's, so you just got to fill in the blanks, uh, uh, figure out the motivation, figure out how the creature functions. Uh, you know, uh, skinwalkers were, were basically, you know, similar, very similar to werewolves, I think would be, uh, I don't know if they were actually like a cross, but they would, they could take beast form as well. And I, I didn't go that route. I went more the route that it was a uh, human to human, just kind of trying to stick to the, the virus pandemic. Um, side of it you know the uh the invisible right. enemy you can see a wolf you can see a um a, you know uh, something living inside you that that turns on you your own body turning on you yeah the thing great example of that you know just yeah they made it. yeah we never knew who kurt russell's going around that old iceberg you know uh place and like you don't know who's <laughs> got it who doesn't and then the people turn on each other you know it, 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 it makes for very you know it goes back to like you know the twilight zone it goes back to this just classic uh, a little mystery slash horror. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's always good to have a little uh, hook like that. So I, I've seen both things. Actually, there was a third version too, wasn't there? Just recently. There was the black yeah. and white, the one from the, the 70s. Yeah, I think it was 80s, wasn't it? With Kurt? Maybe it was 70s. It yeah, it was, the, it was early 80s. Was yeah. it early 80s? Early 80s yeah. yeah. But there's been another recent update. Yeah, I don't it, know. Right? I, I I don't want to sound like an elitist, but I don't watch those recent ones of any genre of any film. Like, I agree. I, I just don't. Yeah, I've been it's, burned too many times, and I'm like, I just won't do it because it's like, you know, if I want to watch Predator, I'm going to watch Arnie and Carl Weathers and and Jesse Ventura. I don't care about the new one. I'm sorry. It's just like, I, right, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, uh, they did it so well in the. Well, 80s. I haven't, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen the the latest thing. But from what I understand, it, it's kind of just basically a rehash of. Yeah. 
the John Carpenter one. So I just, yeah, there's nothing wrong with the original films. You know, I, I just, I, I ended up finally watching uh, the new Terminator. And I actually didn't think it was that bad. I watched it on a plane though. I mean, I was like, I wouldn't watch it like, you know, if I had other choices, other things going on. So, I mean, I don't right. know, again, I know people enjoy them and that's great. I just, I, I, these are the films we grew up on. And for me, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, they did it right. I mean, there's no reason to, to, to redo it. And they have some, some things are sacred, I think, but. Right. Yeah. Well, what I, what I was kind of getting at was, um, with the thing, I get it confused with another one and I don't, is it the mist where it takes place at a, like a grocery oh, store? Right. That's one where the people like it. Yeah, the mist comes in and they. Yeah, I forget. Yeah, yeah. I remember it vaguely. They like they turns them inside out or something really weird. Yeah, and I and I almost felt um, the way the the creature came about with Skinwalker was almost that same way. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, this, um, I again, I absolutely loved what you did with it. I love the um, I, I love the uh, the makeup behind it as well. It looked it looked great. For thank you for independent film, um, some of the shots and and the effects that you came up with very comparable to a high budget film. And thank you, thank you. I, we, I, well, really yeah, I love that. I was very lucky in the crew that I had there: Victoria Sandoval, uh, who was key uh, makeup, and then Mike Aguirre, uh, it was basically did a lot of the creature stuff. So you you just really you know you get crew members who care a lot and want to make it good and. Um, you know, it goes a long way. The, the, all these little films run on passion, you know, there's not much else there, but we're all fans of it. <laughs> so we want to do it right. You know, um, it's like when I work with my Western people, like they, they, a lot of times they'll use reenactors who don't get paid, but, and they, they come with their own outfits and, and horses and you name it. And like, because they want to get it right. They care about it. They love the genre. So right. and that's a lot of it. You know, this stuff is really fan made. We're basically fan films. You know, on independent level. I mean, it's uh, we're certainly not in it for the money on this level. So, um, yeah, that, that's the fun of it. That's the, the beauty of it, really. Yeah. What we, was... We've talked to quite a few smaller filmmakers, and it's always it's all it's always a passion, more of a passion with them, which is what makes them so much better. I think. Well. Yeah. And and even when um, we've seen the movies prior to having those filmmakers on, those mo- we we've come to enjoy those movies more than some of the the mainstream movies that have come out. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I mean, I have a hard time seeing mainstream movies for the most part. Uh, a lot of them today are, are run by committee. You know, there's very little room for risk or creativity, and it's it's obvious. It's an, it's 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 so obvious that you're watching something incredibly formulaic. You know, and, right. and that's because these things are huge financial investments and, you know, you can't get your hands on that kind of money without getting the board to sign off on it. And, you right. know, I see their side to it from like a business model perspective that they want to hit the biggest audience possible. and They want to take as few risks as possible. But unfortunately, that's just overproducing it in the wrong way where it's like it doesn't leave a lot of room for intuition. And I think that that's a that's a problem because spreadsheets can never show you what's really going to work. I mean, if that was true, Hollywood wouldn't have any failures where, you know, they have a lot. They have a lot of big misses. Uh, right. It's just because there's always that X factor when it comes to how you, how is an audience going to receive this movie? You know, I mean, most of the films we, we, we kind of love and, and, and often some of the greatest financial successes, too, have been films that were, you know, a Hail Mary pass. They weren't uh, they go back to Citizen Kane. Nobody wanted to make that movie. But what was it? RKO was bankrupt. And 
they they needed a, they needed something to save their studio, and they reached out to Orson Welles, and he's like, "Well, give me full creative control, and I'll make a movie for you." And you know, many regard it as the greatest movie ever made. That that doesn't happen today. That wouldn't happen today unless a company was like <laughs> in a position where they had to take a huge risk. And, you know, I, I, companies like Disney and 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 all these big entertainment entities they they they, they specialize in, in mitigating and minimizing risk. So right, but creativity mm. just yeah creativity and an audience appetite are, are just different we, we can't you know, we can't predict that we can't really control that in the same way that i think a lot of people try right what what was your favorite moment filming on set there's a lot of them i mean it was it was very difficult though it was always very difficult but i think one of my favorite moments was the scene i did with liz manning where she's uh, she's the girl who's turning in the water and she just starts doing this song and she was singing this song and her fingernails are falling out and she's like, I just thought, it, because it was very beautiful, this natural sunlight was just coming through. I shot it myself too. I mean, you know, everything's like, <laughs> you know, all these movies are, the crew's very, very small. Um, I was just looking through the, the, the viewfinder and I'm, I'm watching the light just hit perfectly. And it's one of those moments where everything just falls in. To, it looks as if we had a big planned out Oh, we we just waited for that right time of day where the sun. No, of course not. Not on these budgets. It's literally just everything just fell in the lockstep. So that stands out to me. And she did a great performance. So that was really nice. I was actually in the water with her, like on a. I ran my dolly track across this little stream, and she was in the. It was like a leech-filled pond, but she's a trooper, so <laughs> you know, uh, it looked really cool, and <laughs> the lighting was perfect. So yeah, it's one of those like uh, just happy, happy that it works. Um, type thing so that, that's my favorite moment yeah. scariest moment on set oh they the first night shoot my generator wouldn't start and i'm like well how am i going to light a scene i can't power my lights so i had these two little led ring lights and you know i just i could i could run them off of the sony mpf batteries and I'm like, okay so i just wrote well that's what we're using tonight and i'll get the generator fixed and actually, I ended up really liking it. And it was a real godsend because for the rest of the movie, except for like the wide shots, I pretty much lit the night stuff with those two little LED lights. Oh, wow. You know, wow. I, I, just, I, I just was huh. like, well, look, it's working. And I can set and move really fast, which is essential on these on these little movies. You have no time. You got a lot of pages you got to get through. And I think it was kind of a, a godsend in a huge way because had I, I had a whole truck full of light. But had I got that generator started and I went with a big lighting schematic, I don't think I would have made my days, you know, and that's uh, unless we're shooting something like, you know, you want to try to do your artificial moonlight and kind of show the background and all that. So I lost. There was a trade off. I couldn't do that. But I shot the action. I shot the people's faces. I, I everything was either fire lit or moonlit. And I pretty much just went with firelight. Uh, and for the most part, I think it worked really well. So, yeah, that was that was at first it was like, oh, we're totally screwed. And then. You know, I'm like, well, this is what we can do on battery, and we got it done, and then I ended up just sticking with that. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> happy accident, I think, <laughs> considering the size of the crew and the amount of pages we had to cover every day. Well, it's good that it worked out. Yeah. Out then. Yeah, I mean, again, and it's always like when you make these movies, you're always going to be like, I'm a cinematographer as well, so it's like you're always thinking like, geez, like, well, what I would have done is this, 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 this. And I'm like, well, of course, if you had more time. Just don't, you know, and it's, it's always like you have to just improvise and move really fast. Um, so I just try to always go for that approach. Like, yeah, you know, you're if, as an independent filmmaker, if you were to make a short film, it would probably be you'd like your lighting a lot more. You'd like your well, everything a lot more, your focus, your performances from your talent, everything. But 
you know, that's not what you're doing. You're doing a feature film and you have to make it as good as you possibly can. Uh, but at an accelerated, what I call like a sprinting marathon, like it's long, like a marathon, but you have to sprint your way through it. Um, uh, so it's, you know, but it, it's a rush. It's always a rush when you, when you get it in the can and you look at it and you're like, you know, that doesn't look half bad. You know, <laughs> that turned out pretty well, you know, like some of the effects, you're like, that's, that's really cool. And that was like, you know, I remember we're shooting the arrows, the scene when we're shooting Daniel with the arrows and Lori made these beautiful arrows. We had like four. So I knew I had to pick my shots very carefully. You know, like, okay, which angle do I need to get those arrows at? We don't have a hundred of these things. You know, and uh, once you shoot them into the woods, you're not getting them back. You could spend right. hours looking for those hours. Those things are gone. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you just got to be really selective. But I, I, it's interesting because I think in the age of video, people just think, oh, you can do all these takes and you can do this. And you know, you can't. You really can't. Your talent has to be on point, just as if you were still shooting on film. Uh, because the one thing you can never get back is time. How'd you go about mm-hmm. casting? Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, this one was pretty easy to cast. I pretty much did this with um, actors that I knew and worked with before. And with independent film, again, that's important. You know, these are not easy shoots. So, again, I, I really tip my hat to the cast because uh, a lot of people want to be in movies on any level, even really small budget movies, until they get there. Uh, you know, these things are really challenging to be a part of. Um, you know, so it's like I try to go back to what I know works people that I become friends with. So it's nice working with my friends again, but also people that I know can not only give me uh, a really good acting performance, but have the stamina to get through these shows. So um, I remember a show, I won't name which one, but a few years ago we did one where I wasn't directing it. I was producing it and I hired this kid and he really liked this person. And I said, you know, if you really like this actress, what you should do is hire her for a smaller role because I agree she's good, but what has she done? She's not done anything. She has no resume. And he was begging me and I relented and I gave her this person and she ended up quitting like three days in and we had to uh, reshoot all those scenes with another actress. And it's like, you know, you you just can't, you can't do that. You know, you you have to go to people that you know have what it takes to to go to battle with you on these little projects. Right. So I I never make that mistake again. I was just having this conversation with the potential uh, partner on a new movie I'm I'm working on. He's like, I want to get some new i'm like yeah it's it's tough for me with it's just you you got when you're casting an actor particularly on this budget you're really casting uh you know you need to cast a soldier (laughs) a tough a tough person Mm -hmm. so that was basically it i knew who i wanted for the roles i and often sometimes i'll write more often than not lately on these little projects i write for people in mind that are already in my stable of actors that are just excellent to work with very cool it's good you have people to fall back on. It is. I mean, I can't do it without them. You know, I mean, some of the criticism sometimes I get people, oh, you always use the same actors. And people talk about nepotism on, in film in, in a bigger sense. And it's like, it's not nepotism for no reason. There's a logic behind nepotism. It's, it's, um, in film you're always dealing with the x factor what's going to be the unknown that you can't foresee what you can't control that's going to jeopardize you making your day or in some cases making your film at all um you always want to cut down on that x factor as much as possible which is why yeah it is hard to get jobs in film it's really hard because people don't like to take chances and every new entity that you introduce is another x factor you know that's uh right it's it's hard to do that when it's your dime, you know, or your your investor's dime, or you know, it's it's a hard, right? It's hard to justify it. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Yeah, 
you know, and again, if you really think somebody's got chops, put them in a small role. If you like working with them and you put them through a day of, you know, a really tough, long day and they, they come out just being great, then, you know, next time you can give them something bigger. Right. That, that, that's how I approach it. You know, if people do a lot of commercial work or, or, or Hollywood work, they're, they're not going to understand it. But often you get good people who've done a lot of theater because theater's tough. Theater's really tough. Theater, you, they break you at theater. So uh, that can be a good, good hunting ground. If you want to find somebody and you want to test their commitment level, I, my ex-girlfriend was a theater actress and they worked so hard. My brother's a theater actor. Mm. I mean, they, they, the rehearsals and all this, and they don't get paid for any of that, like rehearsals or anything. They don't, you know, usually they don't get paid for the performances. So it's like those people have dedication, they have commitment. And a uh, good place to go for, for independent film looking for actors is, is, is look to your local theater house, playhouse, and there's some, I'm sure there's some good actors there that, you know, would love to be in your movie. So I, I got my start in theater. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, I'm an audio engineer uh, by trade. Oh, neat. And, um, Very cool. Yeah, I got I got started in theater doing uh, lighting and spotlight. Mm, very neat. Yeah, no, that so, you guys. I mean, there's no take two for you guys. <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Only in rehearsals. Yep, yep, yep. Got to figure it all out. Oh yeah, it, it, it's it's fun. Uh, currently, I'm I'm working at Walt Disney World, and for right. us with live entertainment, there is no take two. It's right. You go and go, point blank. Um, a lot of pressure. Yeah. So what, what's been the, the response like to the film? You know, not many have seen it yet. It's very new. You know, I mean, we finished it a little bit a while ago. Uh, but this is such a weird year. You know, I usually do. Uh, and I will have a premiere now. But for a while, it was like, can we even show this thing? Should we try to do like a Zoom premiere? I mean, like getting people together, congregating in groups and all the safety stuff you think about. So now that it's opening back up, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure I'll be showing it a lot more, uh, but it, it, it's just, it, it, it's just weird. Uh, so far, the only people that I, that I've seen it other than uh, some, some, some critics and people in, in media is like, um, obviously the distributor, uh, the, I shared I shared it a while ago with the with the lead cast. That that's about it. So yeah, we'll we'll remains to be seen. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, Thank you very much. I uh, I know I've seen some people say it it's set cowboys and aliens. It's cowboy and creature. Yeah, um, whatever works. I I didn't see it that way. I I definitely yeah I, don't see, yeah, I, I think that was yeah that was a little bit of a lighthearted movie. I, I don't really see the comparison either. But I get the. I'm sorry. Go on. I was gonna say I I definitely. See see it as you know it, it's it's coronavirus in the old west if you want Pretty to go much. that route <laughs> yeah. or, or cow, <laughs> cowboy versus, cowboys versus virus yeah um yeah, i agree i agree it was a yeah reality the world we live in every you know the old trope shoot what you know well you shoot what you know and you shoot what you what you live that 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 was definitely uh what we did with skinwalker was it was it easy to decide to go with a Western theme instead of taking the Skinwalker myth and making it modern day? Yeah, I mean, I had just done Eminence Hill, which was more of a straight Western, um, and I love the genre. Uh, it, it presents a series of challenges, uh, location availability, wardrobe, horses, all that. But I have great people that help me with all that stuff. Um, I, I think it was more kind of added, trying to want put some of that escapism in it. And it being a Native American myth too, it was it felt appropriate to make it a Western. And the other bonus, yet there is another one, 
uh, I didn't have to have that. Our cell phones don't work out here, scene, <laughs> which is always nice to be able to have in the horror movie where you're like, oh, sure this. I mean, I've had it where the alien transmission cuts off the service. I mean, look, in reality, usually your cell phone doesn't work out there, but you still have to have that scene. Because if you don't have that scene, the audience is going to say, well, why don't they just call 911? And I like when we remove that option. <laughs> well, there is no calling 911. Uh, I just wrote a script called Hellhounds, which is about biker werewolves that I'm currently in development on. Oh, cool. And it's like, yeah. And it's like, I said, well, who doesn't call the cops when things go wrong? Bikers. Or, I mean, you know, if they're like hardcore one percenters, they're not going to call the cops. You know, so like, again, why don't they call 911? Well, they're bikers, outlaw bikers. That's why. So shit goes wrong. And they're like, well, what are we going to do? They, you know, and they're werewolves too. So yeah, werewolves not going to call the cops on himself. Uh, you know, you gotta, I gotta try to get those ways. Like, why don't you call nine one one? Which is uh, the, you know, every horror movie has to come to that moment. If it's normal people, like regular Jane and Joe Smith, you're like, just pick up your iPhone and you're saved when the monsters coming after you. Um, <laughs> again, trying to find more creative ways. I've done, you know, had criminal guys and exit the hell. We know why they didn't call the sheriff. The sheriff was actually Kane Hodder, and he was trying to eat them. So, you know, <laughs> 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 so that's why they didn't do it. But, you know, uh, try to feed them to his family. I mean, uh, if you ever get to, that's a pretty fun one we did a while ago. But Kane that. plays the cannibal sheriff. <laughs> yeah. That one we're going to have to go watch. Yeah, I think it's, I don't know where, yeah. I, probably Amazon. Definitely uh, Tubi, Amazon. It's on one of those. Um, to, but yeah, that was a fun one. Tubi's become another great little hidden it's gem. Great for us it's really good for us. I mean, you know, th- th- it made it where we're actually seeing some back end on these little movies for a while ago when um, when DVD really started to fizzle out in Redbox. When it was Redbox kept us afloat for a lot of years. Um, when they stopped buying our stuff, it was really like, is there a future for independent film at all? You know, non-studio film at all. And like, it was kind of looking really, really grim because VOD, yes, it's easy. Like anybody can get their movie out there, but can it, will anybody watch it? The algorithms actually work, you know, uh, and um, Tubi's been great. They, they've been really, they've been a good place for little film to generate revenue, to, um, you know, get money back to the people that paid for it. So that that's obviously, you know, we love what we do, but if we don't, if we can't make dividends for the, for our backers, we're, we're kind of out, you know. So that's, right. yeah. But, and that's what I, I don't know. I haven't heard. And I, I obviously, for, for reasons I, you know, that are obvious, I never pirate anything. But, like, I don't know if, like, that's still a thing. Because if it is today, it's like, what's the excuse? You literally can watch it for free. We're not asking for money. Just watch a couple of commercials. You know? So it's like, there's no... Right. Um, or, or pay, like, a subscription fee, like, to Prime or, or Netflix or whatever. Like, right. we're not asking for, like... Because I get it. It's a small independent film. Like You're not going to want to spend five bucks or whatever to rent it necessarily, but it, it's probably you have a platform that you're already paying for it on. So I, I don't know if Iris is the thing, but uh, I would imagine that with all the different platforms that it can't be making the impact that it once did. Now, I still get my stuff on YouTube a lot, which is nuts to me. <laughs> like you'll have a half a million views and you're like, come on, man, it's free. Oh, it's like, just go to Tubi and watch it. I'm not asking you for money. Just watch some Geico commercial and we'll, we're, we're cool. But, uh, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. anyway. well, no, I, some people, I mean, yeah. few, around 2014, I think it was, uh, 
we brought up uh, Crackle. I think that was before Sony really uh, picked up on it and, and went to town. Because they were doing a lot of piracy stuff on Crackle? Or- no, uh, Crackle is another free streaming service. You just have to deal with commercials. Oh, right. I'll copy that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then, um, but I think Sony uh, came around and, and bought it later, mm. unless they were already. Yeah, I mean, unless they were already in cahoots with them to begin well, with. I mean, most programming, really, most most even, you know, let's say, and I have friends who do films that are like two to six million. It's really hard to justify uh, for the consumer to be like, well, I'm going to spend three dollars, four dollars, whatever, rent this. You know, most programming in general depends on like streaming. Uh, you know, subscription fees or ad rev or something like that, that makes sense because unless it's like Avengers or Lord of the Rings or something, it's going to be hard to, uh, you know, for consumers to justify that, particularly when they can choose so much from these streaming catalogs. Right. So that was always going to be the future. I mean, DVD was, that was great. You know, DVD, particularly Redbox was really a great company because they, I think almost single-handedly kept a lot of independent producers alive. Uh, during that dark time when Blockbuster and uh, Hollywood Video and the other video chains disappeared and VOD was just not doing anything for us. We wouldn't show. I mean, yeah, you'd be on iTunes, you'd be on Prime, you'd be on all these streamers, but nobody could find you. Nobody was looking for you, you know. Uh, the platforms didn't give you much of a push. They, were, they didn't give you any push for the most part. So it was like, you know, Redbox filled that void very nicely. And, um, but eventually we knew that wasn't going to last. I mean, that was that transition from brick and mortar to streaming. I, I, I compare it to the iPhone. You know, when the iPhone first came out, it was like a luxury item. It's like just a matter of time before everybody and their mom's going to have the iPhone. You know, right. it's just embracing new technology takes some time. People are reluctant, you know, but the writing was on the wall before Redbox ever opened its kiosks. This was a temporary thing. And, um, but that said, kudos to them. They kept us alive for a lot of years. So <laughs> much love to Redbox. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, would you consider a sequel to Skinwalker? Absolutely. I mean, one thing I've always done in production and, and sometimes like most of my films are, are are episodic in that sense that like if it's worth a sequel if people want a sequel it's easily adaptable to that uh i you know have expressed a lot of interest in writing episodic stuff and i've yet to have an opportunity that's come to full fruition on that yet but um you know it's it's just a lot it's a lot easier to get a feature film made than it is to get a, a, somebody to finance a series which is a complete risk you know, with a film, you always have certain places where you can go to sell it. With a, something like a pilot, like, geez, you know, what do you do if, if nobody wants it? Um, people do entire seasons and they can't unload yeah. them. So, you know, they cut them into movies or whatever, but you know, it, it, it's a little more messy. So, I, yeah, I mean, I always feel like most of my stories could be franchised into, into more. Uh, it's funny, the only kind of franchise stuff I've ever actually done was like completely different. It was the Krampus films, and we did completely different movies that had nothing to do with each other, but... Thematically, it was uh, it was a franchise, um, and you know I, I definitely think uh, at Skinwalker, as with most of the things that I write, I, I'm a fan of the cliffhanger endings because they work even if it's a one-off. You know, they work in the same way that a good Twilight Zone with a surprise ending right. works. Uh, you know, it's like uh, thinking back on like some of the Friday the Thirteenth. Like you didn't need a sequel for that ending to be effective. You know, it just happened that they made a million of them. But like, if you ended Friday the Thirteenth, the first one, without any other movies, it would still work. 
there'll still be a pretty cool ending when the kid comes oh, out yeah. of the water, you know? So it's not like, so it, it's just, yeah, have your cake and eat it too a little bit. And I, I love the idea of the world building, you know, that's like, you have cool creatures, you have characters that you care about. And um, yeah, I think the story can always go on if there's a, if there's an appetite for it. And, you know, that, that's basically what determines it. In the case of Krampus, there certainly was. You know, those are like the worst reviewed films I have. People really watch the hell out of them. So I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's always weird how that works. Derek, you got anything else? I did. And now I can't remember what I was <laughs> going to ask. Usually it's me that has that problem. Oh, it happens to me 10 times a day. I just keep blabbing and then I'll figure yeah. it. Usually I pick it up. <laughs> I had something, but uh, now I forget what I was going to ask. Now you know how it feels. Right, right. Uh, like I said, usually, oh, I knew how it, usually it's me that has that issue. <laughs> um, what's next on your docket? A couple of things. I'm supposed to be doing a Western in the fall. Uh, it's a little bit of a bigger budget than what I'm used to, which is nice. Uh, we're in talks with certain actors on that, and I can't really say too much about that one yet. Uh, and then this other one is this Hellhounds, which just kind of like hit me in this in between i did some work in la this year for another producer it was more of a hired gun and um i'm like okay i need a project to do in the summer i'm like okay so i wrote it to be another western crossover and i'm like ah you know what i'm probably doing a western in the fall i just did a western let me do something else went through the old rolodex in my mind what can i do that's not a um People that don't call 911 if something goes wrong. And then I thought, bikers, they're like cowboys, but instead of horses, they got motorcycles. Totally cool, right? <laughs> Again, I always want to make the characters like the victims and the antagonist and the protagonist in my horror movies anything other than your ordinary people. You know what I mean? Like people that have more edge and color to them and more layered. Uh, people live outside the law, you know. Get me. Uh, it's always more kind of romantic and, and more fun. Can I put in a request that you don't have a, an elderly cowboy come up to the biker and go, I got one more ride in me? Yeah, yeah, that really doesn't happen. <laughs> Actually, the elderly guy says, I'm done. I can't ride anymore. But um, Sorry. Yeah, I, 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 mean, I, was, like, I was making a bad reference to the to the first Ghost Rider film. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I'm trying to do this. Like, It's interesting writing bikers, too, because like, you're trying to write. It's similar to writing cowboys. You have to walk that line of like, you don't want to be too quibby and too macho because nobody likes that. Right. You know, but, but but there's a lot of machismo in that culture. So it's like, how do you make these characters likable? And like, you just don't want to like just punch them out because they just keep being like assholes and arrogant. And like, you know what I mean? So it's always that kind of uh, <laughs> cowboy. Like any of the strong, silent types. Or the, they're not so silent. You know, the strong, quibby types. Uh, the first couple drafts of the script, I'm like, I hate these guys. I wouldn't watch a movie with these guys. They're assholes. It was always like finding like, you know, it's, I've had the same problem with cowboys. They just come off too macho, you know, and you're like, well, that's not fun. So uh, like three drafts in, I finally got there to where like, OK, I don't totally hate these guys. I think they're kind of cool. You know, they're not just obnoxious people and, um, you know, tough guys can often become hard to watch. But good, good fellows. He always does it right. Scorsese, you know. His tough guys, you love watching them because they're funny and they're real people. And, you know, they're not just, yes, they're assholes, but they're not just assholes. And that's, that's I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, sorry, I should have asked that. A-holes. And that, that's, that's it. As I'm choking on a swallow of Sprite, <laughs> as you're asking, uh, I want to respond, but I can't breathe. No, sorry. <laughs> no, language is fine. Okay, cool. 
So, uh, or at least the way we we've been going this this episode is, is cool. I mean, we we've had we've had some guests where every other word is F, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, okay, this episode is being labeled explicit, which is the joys of <laughs> even if I'm being, writing and like yeah, even if I'm writing bikers and, and stuff, I don't do that. Maybe if I was writing mobsters, I would. Then I have written mobsters, and even then, I didn't do it. No, it's just. I don't like that. It gets overdone. It loses the power of a good F word here and there in a movie. I, you know, Sam Jackson's bad mother effort. I mean, it's yeah. cool. If it's every other word, it loses the power. Before Derek came along, actually about a year or two before Derek came along on the show, I had a previous host who we, he asked if we could try swearing on the show. So we did the experiment and he was one of those people. Yeah. Just because we could at the moment, he was going to. And it's yeah. like, this, no, this doesn't feel right. It's not pleasant to listen to. It's just not. I mean, in, without dramatic purpose, like in a screenplay, I don't use it. I mean, you know, it, it has if, to be a reason. If it feels natural, I'm okay with it. Uh, yeah. Derek, Derek and his co-host on his other show, they're, they're lifelong buddies. And... Mm-hmm. I have, I have, I actually have no problem with it on your show, uh, but it, it's natural. <laughs> That's just how we are. <laughs> yeah. But but yeah. it's it's yeah. na- it's natural, and you know it's it's natural. It's nothing's forced. It's not. Yeah. It's not there because oh, we're not swearing to swear. We just right. I, I, I yeah. guess my criticism of it is in writing. Like when I see writers, right, yeah. young writers who are starting out, they'll have like a young couple, and and every other word is f, and it's like. They don't know how to emote without cursing. Right. And I'm like, I try to say, like, look for another way to get your character's state of mind across because it's so non-creative and non-inventive and limiting. And you're writing like great examples like The Sopranos. Those are New Jersey mobsters. Every other word is F that it becomes like it doesn't even sound like a swear anymore. That's different because that's just how they talk. And I think David Chase was being authentic. Right. Uh, But. You know, if it's like you're trying to show I'm angry, well, I only can express that through F. It's like, well, that's that's pretty easy. You know, don't let yourself off the hook as a writer. And your audience will thank you for it. They will appreciate it more if you have to div- dive deeper and find another way to express emotion. Right. So, right. But it's, I've noticed some. Go ahead. No, I've noticed some good actors will often add a lot of profanity in their rehearsals. Like if they're reading with another actor, they're reading together before they prepare for a scene. They'll be like, it's not in the script, right? But they'll just emote, and when they're emoting raw, they'll 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 lace it with profanity, just as an exercise, just to kind of get it out, even maybe so hmm. that they don't do that in the middle of the take. But I've noticed it an interesting. I saw that on the first movie I worked on, so that's an interesting tactic. But then when the cameras rolled, it was it was it was way more dialed in. You know, it was way kind of uh, working themselves up to that stage of anger or whatever it might be. Uh, but you know, interesting, yeah, kind of like. Let yeah, letting the uh, the pressure cooker valve, you know, breathe a little bit before you roll. But by the time you're rolling, you still are pretty darn angry at this person you're supposed to be angry with in the scene. Right. That's pretty cool. Well, it's like uh, Back to the Future. Um, mm-hmm. Biff originally yeah, the line character. the line was what when they go back in time, he crashes the car into the truck of manure right the line was shit and and that's what it said in the script that's what they wrote and it's like yeah i'm not comfortable saying this i i don't i don't swear much you know and and i guess he felt that biff wouldn't swear either in in many of the ways that they would have written it so he changed it to manure 
mm-hmm. and it worked. Sure. But I did catch, it's like, wait, they said Biff doesn't swear, but I remember there was one line he does swear, and I don't remember what it was, but it felt so natural for him to say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, this is one of those times he would have slipped and let one out. Right. And, and it works so, so much. It's just oh, like, about, go ahead. Because he planes, trains, and automobiles, Steve Martin. It's yeah. a PG-13 movie. I don't know oh, how they yeah. got away with it. It's a great scene, but he's like, he's profanity. He's swearing at the old lady at the, the checkout counter at the rental car agency. I want an effing car, an effing this. And she just says, oh, boy. Oh, boy, what? And this sweet old lady goes, you're effed. And it's just a great line. You're like, it's so natural. Mm-hmm. Even this little old lady that's what she would say, finally, after being berated and, and effed and sworn at how many times, you know, it's like, yeah. you know. Yeah, I forgot, about, I forgot about that one, yeah. Yeah, I love that scene. I feel that way every time I travel. I mean, it's always something. <laughs> you know, there's always some disaster that's like, you book the rental car months in advance and you get there and then there, you know, there's always something. It's just traveling is mm, stressful. Yeah. It's fun, but it's stressful. Well, what, what we my- all had those Steve Martin. Yeah. One of my other favorites is uh, a movie called Caveman. I don't know that one. With Ringo Starr and Barbara and uh, oh, okay. Barbara Bach, uh, his wife. And of course, it takes place back in the, the days of the caveman. Yeah, that's right. And there's just one scene. You got all the different, you get the new new rejects, old rejects combined together. They're creating their own new tribe. And the one set of newer rejects, their in their their speech is a little bit more pronounced than mm-hmm. Ringo Starr's group. So they find this big mud pit. They all go playing and rubbing it all over themselves and whatnot. And all of a sudden, the little person caveman comes out smiling. Everyone's like, "Wait, no, no, no!" Before that, all of a sudden, they're catching a whiff of odor and they're sniffing it and they're going, "Kaka, kaka." <laughs> And the little person caveman comes out rubbing his backside, caca. And then the Asian caveman, yeah, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Works. The whole thing worked. It's one of those, uh, I think that's what, even the Mel Mel Brooks films. Oh, yeah, yeah. The swearing there, (laughs) the swearing in the there is not just because they can't, it's because it comedically, the timing was perfect for it. Blazing Saddles. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I Yeah, sorry, go on. There's no way that film gets remade today. Well, see, that's the thing. There's so much that wouldn't. But, you know, like my favorite comedians like uh, Chappelle or Chris Rock, I mean, they, they, they try to be funny today. They're going to get crucified. Uh, humor has become, um, it used to be a place where you laughed at what you shouldn't laugh at, which is what part of the fun was. Uh, South Park was great at that, you know. I think they yeah. probably still are, but you know, it's like if you right. sanitize humor, then it's nothing but dad jokes, and that sucks. <laughs> There's nothing funny in that, you know. Humor yeah. is supposed to be provocative and make you a little uncomfortable, and that's part of what makes you laugh, you know. And I, I mean, like, there's a big controversy. I remember when uh, HBO Max for aired. Uh, 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 Blazing Saddles. They had to put a, you know, and they, okay, it's good to do because you have to understand the, the con. They contextualized it, but it was like it wouldn't have worked without that. And it didn't make the racist white people look good at all. It wasn't like it wasn't like some poster for the Ku Klux Klan. That was not the point of Blazing Saddles. It was showing right. the idiocy of those people. But it was like, right. you know, it, 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 yeah, I, I hate that the 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 safe spacing of, of comedy. I know Chappelle got in a lot of trouble. I know. 
people like, it's like, guys, it's not supposed to be a safe place. You know, the roasts, mm-hmm. which I don't know how you could ever do a roast today. Roasts are brutal. Yeah. But they're damn funny. Oh, yeah. like, oh you yeah. went there. Oh, no, you didn't. You know, it's kind of that uh, there's always a Jerry Springer <laughs> aspect to like the roast where you go too far. And that's that's what keeps it fresh and funny. And, yeah, unfortunately, that's just I think in today's culture, people are trying to be more accepting, which is wonderful. But to be uh, I think that there's another side to it where it's like people are trying to be offended. You know, like if you go to Twitter, I think there's people who's like, maybe they get paid for it. Like full time job is what do, what do we do? I'm someone who's offended. That's my job. I'm an offended person because it seems like no matter what you do, someone's going to hate you. And it's like, OK, but, you know, often it seems like that crowd of, of thinking or that way of thinking is is very disingenuous to me. I find it like the outrage police are just, yeah. If, if, <laughs> you know, if they're not if they can't find like something really provocative. They'll find something. They'll pick on someone, and it's it's a form of bullying. It's not fun. And um, I agree. Yeah. Oh I, yeah. yeah. Twitter's like Hollywood studios, big Disney, and then they just bend to what some trolls on Twitter say. It's like half of them probably aren't even real human beings. They're probably robots. You know, it's uh, probably Twitter is horrible. It is accessible. It social really is, social you know? media is horrible. It is. I mean, you know, I, I've yeah, taken an approach where like, yeah. I don't talk politics. I certainly don't talk religion. I try to keep everything positive just about my films. Uh, and the, the little bit of controversy that they create, I can I can easily deal with. Yeah. Like, people get offended by certain context, or, you know, certain subject matter in the film. But um, oh, okay. and there's not too much of that, really. It's pretty minor. I mean, it, I, you know, it's fine if people want to be critics of it. But it, it's like. I found a way to kind of sanitize social media for myself where like, I've like, I just washed out all the trash. That's just uh, arguing with people you don't know online about their politics. Like who cares? You know, I, I mean, that's just something like, yeah, it's, it's I, rage bait, you know? Yeah. It's, I just stay away from the politics. Right, a lot. Yeah. Me too. I mean, there's nothing productive that can come out of it. Like anybody that agrees with you, well, okay, they'll agree with you. People that don't, are going to get angry and then you're going to get angry at them. And then it's like, okay, yeah. you just, you don't need to do that. You're not I mean, going to change anyone's mind. You're not like right. going to take a liberal and make that person a conservative and vice versa. There's no, like, there's no winning. It, it, it's, it's absolutely just a, a circle jerk of outrage. And I'm, I'm yeah. good without that in my life. You know, and I, I think if you can kind of put some rules on yourself in social media, it cannot be as bad. You know, it can be like, okay, I'm not going to talk about this X, Y issue or respond to this X, Y issue. It, it seems to be less toxic. Certainly you're not angry, but um, yeah, I agree. It, it, it's definitely a, it's a new thing. I mean, there's, there's wonderful things on social media. People can talk throughout the world and you get in touch with old friends and oh, that's nice, but there's definitely an ugly side to it. And I think for, as a whole, it's influenced our culture in a pretty negative way. Yeah. But maybe we're in the adolescent mm-hmm. phase of it. Maybe we'll grow to a point where it's less, uh, destructive. I hope we do. You know, I hope. Uh, yeah, maybe. Instagram, maybe. But, uh, Instagram. Yeah, it doesn't look that way now. I know we're a long way from that, but. Um, yeah, I hope pictures. I hope it happens soon. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. What I just hate is when, like, I think, and I think a lot of bigger companies make the mistake of thinking that what trolls say on Twitter is indicative of uh, where the culture is as a whole. Yes. You know, and right. it's, it's really not. Most people are way too busy to ran rave about what some superhero did or didn't do. Like, I, I don't think most people mm. give a shit. And I think Twitter's a very, it's a small slice of the population and their voice is overly represented. Right. 
you know, most of us just don't have the time to care that much about things that don't have a direct impact on our lives. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's just the reality. We have bills to pay. We have families. We have lives. It's like, okay. Right. Uh, you know, it's uh, that's kind of like the wokeness stuff, which is uh, at least people are realizing it's a problem. It seemed like for a couple of years it was like, oh, this is just the way it is. We're living in Salem uh, during the witch trials again. Yeah, you know, but I, I think – I think after the first of the year, the the whole wokeness, it's like it, it went so, so quick, escalated so quick as a, instead of being paced out like the PC movement that people are like, OK, now we're starting to take things too far. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm glad at least well, there, there does seem well, that, to be a little bit of reaction uh, checking it, which is good. Yeah, because it did seem like, you know, it, it was just a way to, uh, again, really attack each other and, and, and adding purity tests that no human being can live up to. Like right. we've all said dumb things, insensitive things, been jerks at times. It's like there was like this. It really felt like the puritanical scarlet letter or something. Yeah. It was like this is weird, man. This is not a free society at all. Yeah, um, mm. you know, movies getting canceled, actors getting fired, and just like mm-hmm. this is a, this is not healthy. No, it's, it's not. So, well, and I'm, that, I'm glad. I'm glad they pushed back. Just like with the. But, yeah, I think the problem, just like with anything, is when it just when it gets taken too far. Exactly. Everything in moderation. You know, that's what they say, and that's true. I mean, there's nothing wrong with wanting to mm. be more um, respectful or understanding or appreciative, and all that's great. Right. But you can still make jokes. You know, we can still laugh at, at the, inter- the the uh, the idiocies of each other and laugh at ourselves. You know, I mean, every good mm. comedian to me is always first self-deprecating as a way to say, look, I'm. Make fun of me too. I'm not above you. I'm, right. I'm here to have fun, you know. And right. um, but it's okay to tell off-color jokes because those are the jokes that we make sure our moms out of the room when we were kids. You know, those are the jokes <laughs> that make you laugh. Your uncle will tell you that joke. He goes, "Oh, when your mother ain't around, I'm going to tell you this joke, and it's inappropriate, and that's why it's funny. That's a big reason why. <laughs> uh, otherwise, it's why did the chicken cross the road nonsense? You know, right? Yeah. Right. It's like, you know. Just doesn't work. Um, so we talked briefly about <clears throat> social media. Where can people find you online or find the film? Uh, Facebook. Um, I think I'm. Uh, let me just see right now. I Robert. Yeah. So you can find me online at Skinwalker Western Film on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Uh, if you Google Robert Conway filmmaker, you'll see all my stuff too. Uh, but uh, my my Facebook handle is R M is in Michael Conway C O N W A Y seven nine and that's my Facebook. So awesome. yeah, uh, but yeah, Google always turns me up, which is good too. So if you just Google Robert Conway film. I think there's like an admiral and some other people. There's a pro wrestler, which is kind of funny. Yeah, but, uh, if you Google Robert Conway <laughs> filmmaker. The one wrestler who doesn't change his name has my name. Like the one guy who doesn't use a stage name has my name. I think that's funny. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Usually it's like the crusher or good. something, but no, the guy with my name is uh, Robert Conway. <laughs> the the dumpster. <laughs> yeah, there's always something, right? Just change it to some. I don't know why that guy didn't. So, but, uh, um, any final thoughts, guys? Anything we we didn't I, discuss in the film that you want to put out? I think we're good, bud. Great yeah. interview. Thank you guys for having me. Oh, our pleasure. Yeah. Uh, Derek, any final, on. any final thoughts or questions from you? Uh, nope. Alrighty. Perfect. Well then, 
I, I hope everyone goes and catches uh, July 13th. Go catch yes, Skinwalker, um, video on demand, streaming services. Pretty much everything. You know, we get out to iTunes. Uh, I think uh, usually like Xbox, PlayStation, uh, Voodoo. Uh, I'm sure it'll be on Amazon demand at first. It'll be on Prime probably eventually. Tubi. Uh, those I'm not sure about right away. Those usually come later. But definitely like iTunes, Amazon on demand. Um Voodoo, I think. I think once but if you it, Google us, I'm sorry, what? I was going to say, I think once it hits Tubi, it'll also be on Pluto TV. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, I mean, we, we get out there pretty far. And it's always like, you know, if you Google it, uh, the Google Play Store, we usually get Google Play. Uh, we okay. get the YouTube, the legitimate YouTube, or, you know, whatever that's called. You know, the, <laughs> I don't know what they call that because then it's Google Play is kind of merged with it. But yeah, there's yeah. a lot of different. Um, we're pretty much everywhere in the VOD, all the major VODs. Very cool. So go check out Skinwalkers um, done by Robert Conway. And hopefully we didn't leave you asking. Want to know more? So, um... The bad crowd you've been hanging out with is a science fiction club? This has been a Weeby Geeks production. I'll be watching you!